and welcome back to the Album Files podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. We are here to talk about Frightened Rabbit's Midnight Organ Fight, an, an Ian Trelore pick, which once, listening, once I listened to the album, I was like, yeah, this would be an album that Ian would pick. Uh, Ian, hello. <laughs> hello, good to be here. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. And Matt Deneve. Hi. Yeah, me too. Before we dive into the episode, we should warn everybody that there will be talk of suicide and depression in this episode. So so if that's something that you're not comfortable with, then perhaps skip this one and we'll be back to talk about the national next week. All right. Before we dive into Frightened Rabbit, Matt, what have you been listening to lately? Uh, For reasons that I'll explain in a moment, been listening to a bit of Biffy Clyro, which is a Scottish band. Don't know if you guys have heard of them, uh, but they've been around since the late 90s, I think. They've got a bunch of studio albums, nine, I think. Uh, been spending a bit of time with their most recent album called The Myth of the Happily Ever After. They're kind of like a... Uh, yeah, it's really good. Kind of heavy heavy rock, emo rock band from Scotland. Uh, they do some great stuff. I've been enjoying digging into them after... Um, yeah. After listening to Frightened Rabbit, um, Ben Folds has a new single out, Exhausting Lover. It's called The Film Clip is Excellent. It's a really good fun. Um, big fan of Ben Folds and really looking forward to his upcoming album. Um, and the other one, and I can't say I love this, but uh, Metallica has a new album out. And I've never been the world's biggest fan of Metallica, but I felt a kind of curiosity to check them out and see what they're doing after, what, 40... 42 years since they started as a band. This is their 11th studio album called 72 Seasons. I couldn't get through it. It's it's an, almost an hour and 20 minutes, like the full length of a, a CD for those in, uh, you know, olden day terms, an hour and 17 minutes of chugging guitars and wah pedal solos and stuff like that. But um, the highlight for me is James Hetfield, the vocalist and rhythm guitarist. His voice at 59 is still so, so good. Um, so there are definitely moments on here that I enjoyed. And if you like Metallica stuff, you should definitely check it out. It's worth a, a listen, but it just gets pretty samey after a while. Just very, very similar songs. And our girl Lizzie McAlpine has a new song out on Spotify as well called A Little Bit of Everything, which I believe is a cover, but it's very, very good. Um, highly recommend that one as well. I'm sure you guys have already heard it. I have not. Me neither. I'm, I'm excited to. Oh, wow. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's part of an album or anything like that. I think it's just a... A cover she decided to do for whatever reason, and yeah, it's very strong. Sorry, I, I like that there's another opportunity to push Lizzie McAlpin, the only artist that has been a unanimous hit for all of us <laughs> from this experiment. <laughs> um, did you watch the interview with her where she said that she's shopping around for producers for her next mm. album? Yeah, still no mention of Jack Antonoff, though. We're, we're still trying to manifest <laughs> yeah, but- that uh, collaboration, right? They're doing multiple like uh, festivals together, bleachers and... Lizzie McAlpine, so... This has the makings of a great conspiracy. I like it. Yeah. We're going to make it happen. I've not been listening to any music. I've had, like, a crazy two weeks. I've been listening to this album that we're about to talk about, like, a lot. But also, Ed Sheeran released the first song from his new album coming out May 5th called Subtract. And it's called Boat. And I sent it to you guys, I'm pretty sure. He played it in Paris at his um, mathematics tour or whatever he's doing. 
he debuted it there. And so I watched the YouTube video of him playing it, I don't know, a hundred times. And so I'm very excited that it's now out proper <laughs> so I can listen to it on Apple Music. But it's very good. I really, really like it. Um, so it's getting me even more excited for his album. Other than that, I've just been listening to to this album that we're here to talk about today. <laughs> Are you happy to get it off your plate? We can. I'll I'll let you know in a couple of minutes once you tell us <laughs> once you tell us what you've been listening to. Uh, I've been listening to an album by a Pakistani American artist called Aruj Aftab. Uh, she has an album called Vampire Prince, which is kind of this mix of uh, Pakistani traditional music, but a little bit sort of contemporary, and reminds me in parts of like Jeff Buckley singing Hallelujah, that kind of haunting vocal and sort of finger-picked um, instrumentation. There's also a, an amazing song on that with Anushka Shankar, Ravi Shankar's um, daughter, who plays sitar, and that's really beautiful. Um, at the very much opposite extreme, Bell Witch, who is uh, a doom metal band, have their new <laughs> album out. It is one track long. It is 84 minutes <laughs> long. Um, so on Spotify, it is described as it's listed as a single, which I find very funny for something that is the length of a movie. Uh, so that's called uh, Future Shadow Part One, The Clandestine Gate. And that's really, really good. I've, I've enjoyed their stuff for a long time. It's um, really cool the way they construct their stuff. It sort of folds back in on itself and it's, uh, it's very patient, slow, deliberate music which i really is like it the sort of thing where uh it could actually be divided into 10 tracks and they've just done the one track thing as a kind of gimmick or does it actually feel like one cohesive thing no it feels like one cohesive thing there's no there's no gaps in the music so it's all um it's i mean there's there's sort of movements within yeah. it but it's it's all all joined there's no breaks that's cool so yeah that's you that's really good such wild taste yeah it's <laughs> I feel like we're getting off so easy with your picks. Like you could oh, so yeah. easily just take us down like the weirdest rabbit holes. <laughs> it would just be like. Well, I, I, I think my selections this week are particularly wanky. Like, <laughs> I, I saw your face when I was like a Pakistani American. <laughs> you were just like rolling your eyes, being like, "Oh man, what's he, what's he listening to this time?" You just, I just don't know where you find all of. I don't know where you find this music. It's just like it's honestly super impressive. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I, I guess, <laughs> I guess there's a bit of seeking it out, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, the third pick is Tim Hacker. He's a Canadian um, experimental electronica guy. He's got a new album called No Highs, which is excellent. He's always really good, and this is a really, really good album. So if you're into sort of droney electronica, then that's uh, outstanding. And that's about it for me. Uh, and just on kind of world music in, in quotes, have you listened to much Tigran Hamasyan? He's an Armenian-American mm -hmm. jazz pianist. I think I might have sent you some of his stuff, but would highly recommend no, not if at all. you like kind of fusion of traditional music from, yeah, Asia, I guess, plus, uh, yeah, more Western interpretations of that music. His stuff is fantastic. Oh, that's cool. Um, well worth a listen. Nice. Um, just to get a bugbear off my chest, I, I pitched an article about Gurman Guli Bernu Muhammadov's music to Pitchfork a couple of weeks ago. They didn't get back to me. <laughs> That's the Turkmenistan ex-dictator, right? 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <I, laughs> so I'm a, I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit dark on Pitchfork at the moment for not not seeing the glorious potential in that as a feature. Did they give you a reason? They didn't respond. Oh. So I'll just keep hammering away until somebody will will get my definitive exploration <laughs> of Turkmen dictators musical stylings. <laughs> Well, I I read the Pitchwork review of um, Midnight Organ Fight and found it interesting. I'm really excited to talk about this album, but before we talk about it, Ian, do you want to explain why you picked this? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I guess I picked this because it's been a part of the fabric of my life since it came out. I, I don't listen to them a huge amount. I, I think it's a little bit more sort of indie rock leaning than what my tastes currently are, but uh, it meant a lot to me at the time. And um, I've got a bit of a personal connection to this album as a result of that. Um, I've seen them live three or four times. I can't remember. I was trying to work out which which gigs I'd gone to and some of them were a bit hazy, so who knows. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed what Frightened Rabbit did and enjoy a lot of Scottish music in this vein anyway. So I, I was, uh, yeah, excited to talk about it because I think it's something that is worth unpacking. There's there's a bit a bit to talk about with it. Um, for some background, Frightened Rabbit were a Glasgow-based band that were active from 2003 to 2018. They had a five-album-long career. This album, Midnight Organ Fight, is their second album. Uh, came out in 2008. It was their first that was really a critical and sort of commercial breakthrough, I guess. They had a, a pretty minor release before that called Sing the Greys, but that went largely unnoticed. Um, and then from Midnight Organ Fight, they, instead of being this kind of obscure indie band, they were sort of like a mid-tier um mid-tier band until their disbandment in 2018 for reasons we'll get into. Uh, the core of the band was Scott Hutchinson, who was the songwriter and guitarist, and his brother Grant played the drums. Uh, and for this album, Billy Kennedy was on guitar and bass, and later on they expanded with a couple of additional guitarists and keyboardists. So it was quite a muscular live band really um when they were playing live more so than you'd probably think from from the album the album came out on fat cat records which is a sort of experimental uh record label based in england um they released most of sigur ross's early work um sort of had a reputation for experimental electronica and modern classical and alternative folk kind of stuff. So this was a little bit of an outlier for that um, record label, but I, I think set a template for the way that record label evolved going forward. They signed a few more Scottish bands that were in that indie rock vein um, and became a little bit more accessible maybe. The producer on this album was a guy called Peter Cadis, who has a lot of production credits on records that we know and have spoken about um the jezebels uh the national he he did eight albums and eps by the national um both of the early interpol albums hammock who are kind of uh very sad <laughs> modern classical band sunhet 
which I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, which are more of a, I don't know, post-rock, post-punk kind of thing. Um, so it's their first album with like a, a really big producer. And I think he took things in a, an interesting direction and a little bit more nuanced with a little bit more texture than Singing the Greys, the previous album. The album was really positively received, um, got rave reviews in Pitchfork, Drowned in Sound, Mojo, and that sort of snap judgment led to an enduring legacy. Uh, it ended up on a lot of year-end lists, best of decades lists, and probably is seen as the band's peak, although there were some pretty good albums that followed, especially the one after this one, but it's got their kind of defining songs, I would say. Mm. It's been described as quote, one of the greatest breakup albums of recent vintage in Pitchfork. Uh, NME described it as an album about breaking up and fucking up with the grisliest imagery since Arab Strap, who are a Scottish post-folk band who are one of my favourites, but they're they're notoriously bawdy. So <laughs> this is in, in that kind of vein. Um, it's more or less a concept album charting a relationship breakdown. So... In, over the course of the album, it moves through, a, through through various steps, casual flings, trying to numb yourself in, in drink and drugs, um, self-loathing, reflection, search for a, a higher purpose, and in its darkest passages, suicidal ideation, and then finally arrives at something approaching closure. Uh, of the lyrics, Scott Hutchinson said that they were, quote, pretty direct and that the album almost spells out what happens. Um he couldn't really write about anything else, he said. So he, he, he says that he can still visualise the events in each song, which perhaps makes the delivery more genuine. In terms of the music, it's kind of driving indie rock with some Scottish folk elements around the edges, largely in a major key throughout, which is kind of a uh, contrast to the sometimes sad, bleak vocals. Um, it... Yeah, it, it's a, a quite emotionally heavy album, which resonated for me at the time it came out, because when I was 21 years old, 2008, I was kind of going through a period of self-discovery, making mistakes, getting myself into those shitty situations you do when you're a young adult, and the album's themes of self-loathing, the crutches of alcohol and sex, relationships, breakdowns, self-exploration not always in this healthy or holistic fashion, meant that it resonated with me at the time. It also musically struck a chord because I was listening to a lot of Scottish indie rock at the moment, um, like Arab Strap, who I've mentioned, The Twilight Sad, who are amazing and probably a better band in most ways for my tastes than, than Frightened Rabbit, but they were incredible. It's sort of defined by these really thick Scottish accents and a gloomy, booze-sodden view of the world. Um, with this, this frankness, this bleakness, this physicality to the songwriting. It's not a sanitised album. There's F-bombs, there's a, a gently dropped C-bomb in the, the album's quietest and saddest song. And there's these depictions of escapism through drugs, alcohol, anonymous sex... Not, not what you'd think of as positive escapism. Um, but I, I think at the core of the album, it's Hutchinson's emotional journey, 
navigating these experiences, which are, if not universal, then pretty common, I think, uh, with uh, self-awareness and this gaze turned on himself and, and his failings. I should also say, as, as we sort of foreshadowed at the start of the episode, there's a pretty sad footnote to the tale of this album and this band, which makes it pretty hard to separate this as a piece of music and as a part of Scott Hutchinson's legacy. I mentioned earlier that the band came to an end in 2018, which was due to Hutchinson's death by suicide. In his songs, he'd never really sugarcoated what he was going through, whether it was relationship troubles or struggles with alcohol dependency, depression, anxiety. And 10 years after Midnight Organ Fight came out, he chose to take his life um, in quite a chilling kind of way in the in the same way that he'd foreshadowed in the the song Floating in the Fourth, which is the album's emotional climax. There was uh, some good that came out of that tragic event. So there was a mental health charity called Tiny Changes, which was set up. Um, that's named after a line from the song Head Rolls Off, which is also on this album. And Grant Hutchinson, four years after the death of his brother, joined another band, The Twilight Sad, um, who are label mates and longtime friends of Frightened Rabbit. And they cover Keep Yourself Warm as part of their set list um, every night, with Grant playing along to his brother's defining anthem again after four years away from music. I feel like I've been talking for a very long time, so I'm going to throw it over to you guys. Yeah, interestingly for me, like I listened to this album before I did any Googling or did any research and <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, this is this is a this is an album. And then and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. And then I Googled the the band and kind of actually I posted this morning that I was running and listening to the album on Instagram and Taylor Wiles responded, oh, I love Frightened Rabbit. It's a bummer he died. And I was like, oh, that's why they don't have any new music. So then I Googled that. And when I found out that he died by suicide and then listening to the album again, I, it really like those parts of the songs where he talks about that, um, especially in in the floating in the fourth that really like jumps out a lot more <laughs> than it did on the first, I don't know, couple listens through that I had. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty sad in retrospect. I mean, the, that song is about imagining his own suicide, but choosing to live. And it's, it's really sad that a decade later he, he wasn't able to make that choice. I think, uh, I think it does sort of reframe the the way that the lens that you see the album through though. Yeah. And I think it's tricky that we're kind of compressing 10 years down into to one thing. Like there was it's 10 years there between what you described Ian as the kind of, uh, it kind of reaches a resolution with the, with that final track. Like he resolves, he's not going to kill himself. Right. And you're like, okay, well, this is, this is good. And then, he does in the way that he describes. And so even though those events happened 10 years apart for us listening to it now, it feels very much like they happened, you know, sequentially or whatever. And it, yeah, I'd be the same as you. I, I made a point as I do with every episode. I, I didn't read anything about the band before I listened to it the first few times. And yeah, I found those songs quite uh, affecting to begin with. And then reading the story of what happened, I found it, yeah, quite quite emotional actually listening to 
a bunch of the songs in there and then particularly um yeah floating in the fourth is just a really really tough listen after knowing what happened um but yeah like you i i really enjoyed the album overall i think it's a very solid piece of work and i i in general, I really enjoy the kind of anguished, heartfelt, emo rock kind of indie vibe that this goes for. Um, sad but beautiful, which I, I know kind of contrasts a little bit with what I have said previously, particularly with, you know, Boy Genius. I talked about how difficult that was for me to get through because it feels so sad. But I think there's something in what you said, Ian, about you know everything being in a, ma- a major key when the music feels upbeat to me, it feels easier to get through because you have to dig a little deeper to pick up the emotional uh, depth, I guess, of the lyrics. Whereas in the music for me, that's what I register with most, particularly initially. And if the music is more upbeat, then it kind of dampens the the emotional impact of it. So it wasn't until I really dug into it that it felt as sad and heartbreaking as it ultimately turned out to be. Um, I mean, the whole like first half of the album is like, it feels so upbeat. Like, it feels like you could kind of dance around to it. And I was running to it and I was like, man, this is, this is great. This is great running music. It doesn't, it's not until you like really start to listen that it's like, oh man, you thought Boy Genius was sad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of a, a, not a bait and switch, but it, it, it does disguise the, the sadness of it. I, th- I think it's, it is upbeat. It's, it's quite a musically a happy listen. And there's, there's a lot to sort of tap your toe to. It doesn't lyrically, it's pretty gut wrenching, but I, I think that musically you could put this on and be pretty, pretty happy with your choice. Um, if you're, if you're into that kind of, I find it interesting the uh, the repeated, themes of body horror throughout this i don't know if you guys picked that up but i mean besides all the the kind of heartbreaking stuff this kind of this body horror vibe like yeah missing legs in modern leper uh, as a great line uh, and vital parts fall from his system and dissolve in scottish rain uh, on modern leper i cut off my foot despite my leg um head rolls off poking at my iris there's a kind of like cringe factor to the whole thing that just is quite uncomfortable to listen to. But having said that, I think mm. the lyrics overall are, uh, you know, again, as heartbreaking as they are, some very clever writing here and some very punny stuff. Um, you know, modern leper on his last leg is a, is a pretty funny line. I think, um, uh, backwards walk has some great lyrics, uh, and stuff on head rolls off. Like when I'm alive, I'll make tiny changes to earth, which you reference before in with the mental health, uh, foundation. I think that's a really strong affecting line and found that very powerful. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of the, the lyrics here. And I think that, yeah, I think it was all Scott Hutchinson, wasn't it? That wrote all lyrics for this. Yeah. yeah very yeah. strong. Yeah. And I, I think all the, all the songwriting as well. I, I don't think it was a particularly collaborative process. I, I think he was, the core of the band and it was only on later albums that it became a little bit more of a collaborative process. But yeah, he was, he was so clearly the, the band's front man and the emotional core of what they were doing that after, after his death, there was just no question that they'd not find another singer mm. and there, there was no way they were going to do that. It, it just wouldn't be the same thing. 
I really like the way that these songs evolve as well. Like each individual song feels like it goes through a bunch of different changes throughout. Um, you might start with like a chugging guitar part or whatever, but it feels like there's these little changes throughout that keep it really interesting and upbeat. And um, yeah, I, I like that sort of songwriting where it's quite dynamic and it's not just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, whatever. You see the song evolve and you get to a different place by the end of it and you feel like you've gone on a little journey. And there's so, so many examples of that throughout. Um, Keep Yourself Warm is probably one of the bigger, better examples of that or Soon Go, which, Abby, you might not have heard, but that's, I think, the final of three bonus tracks on the Australian New Zealand version. Um, but, yeah, the way those songs evolve and... Um, yeah, again, take you on a journey, I think, is really impressive and makes for very engaging listening. For me, the twist, yeah. I feel like, had one of the best, like, journeys through the song because it starts off, like, kind of slow, like, one way, and then there's, like, some drums that are introduced, and then it, the drums come in even stronger, like, in the bottom, in the final, like, one-third of the song, and it's a completely different song from that point. And I feel like, for me, one of the strongest parts of the entire album was the drumming. Like I felt like in every single song, um, he was just amazing on the drums. And I read that actually live, he breaks like three to four sets of drumsticks a show. Yeah. He, he really belts them. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I mean, you can tell when you listen, like it, he, it's just, I don't, th I feel like drums are something that, rarely makes or breaks a song but it for me in this album there was multiple songs when the drums would come in and it would and it would completely change how i thought of that song yeah and i think a part of why that's so uh well done is the restraint that's shown in the songwriting so it's not like the drums coming at the start and they just do the same thing throughout there's some songs on here where it's not till like halfway through the song that the drums actually get going properly and so when they come in, it has this much greater impact because it's this a whole new dimension that's been added to the song, and then they evolve from there. So yeah, I definitely agree with you on that, Abby. It's it's really it's good drumming, but also well used drumming, if that makes sense. I think that it's not a perfect album by any stretch. I there are three little musical interludes dotted throughout the album, which I don't think really add all that much. Um, I guess they work as a, a divider in a couple of different sections of the album, but they're, they're not musically all that interesting. And I don't particularly like them. Um, some of the, some of the songs, I, I think there's a little bit of a quality gap in some of the songs to others. There's a few songs which are just outstanding, but something like old, old fashioned, just really doesn't do it for me. I think that that's a little bit too much of a... Oh, sorry. I love that song. It's kind of a nice change-up. I also wrote catchy AF. That's what I wrote. I had that in my head for a few days afterwards. I think it's a nice change-up. It's very different to the rest of the album, but it, it's kind of a nice palate cleanser, I think. Yeah, maybe. And I mean, the, that... the line, turn off the TV, it's killing us, we never speak, is like, I don't know, that just is like, it's never spoken to me. No line has ever spoken to me like that line spoke to me. I was like, Tom's, we got to stop watching Ted Lasso. We're not speaking anymore. I'm with you with the interludes, Ian. I, I didn't really, not that I didn't understand them, but I didn't 
really get much from them. I think bright pink bookmark is the best of the three um, with the horns there. I think it's the only, maybe the only time on the album we get to hear horns, but I that one's an instrumental and I felt like I wanted to hear more of that one. I wanted that to be fleshed out into something a bit more long and, and interesting. Um, mm. But I think the... I mean, to kind of peel back the curtain a bit for our dear listeners, um, I only found out last night, thanks to a text from Ian, that the last three tracks on the album... Uh, no, no, not your fault. I should have I should have checked this. <laughs> found out that the last three tracks that I'd been listening to were actually bonus tracks, um, and which is interesting because I had them... I had a note down here saying, uh, album feels too long, could probably do without the last three tracks. So, that's right. kind of interesting. There we go. But... Removing those three means that you have the, as you described, Ian, the emotional climax at floating in the fourth, but then you have Who'd You Kill Now, which is one of those interludes to close out the album. Can we talk about mm. that? Because I feel like that's kind of weird. Yeah, I, I absolutely, yeah, it, it should it should have floating in the fourth as the last song. Yeah. I actually don't mind Soon Go, which is the way that the Australian version ends as the closer. Abby, I'd recommend you check that out because it's that's a perfect example of the the drums um, really serving the song and really heightening. I think probably the best drumming on the album, actually, for me. Um, mm, it's a, yep. a very strong ending to, to that version of the album, but the previous two tracks I could totally do without. Um, yeah, it's it's by far the best of those three songs. Yeah. Um, Weirdly, though, those last three tracks, and I don't want to bang on about them too much, but there's a real difference in the vocal quality. I don't know if you noticed that, Ian, but it feels like those three tracks were almost recorded separately or in somehow differently because his vocals are so good throughout. And then the last three, it's just really kind of patchy and off pitch in a bunch of places and just weaker and recorded like further back in the mix as well. I don't know, just kind of music nerdery stuff that no one probably cares about. But it just sounded weird to me and it it heightened the feeling of that this felt kind of unnecessary. Yeah, I it, it could well be that they weren't recorded in the same sessions or, or something like that. Like the album before this, um, Sing the Greys, was basically a selection of demos and then they got signed by Fat Cat and re-recorded a few songs. So there is, again, that sort of mix of of songs that sound quite homespun and then some which have the the full studio shebang Mm -hmm. so i i wonder if that's the case with with those last three i i don't know why um australia and new zealand get those three songs and nobody else in the world does (laughs) and i think it's kind of strange that the that they're just sort of lumped on spotify as part of the the album proper Mm. for us um because i i think in some ways, with the exception of Soon Go, kind of weakens the the album and adds a bit of flab yeah. that it doesn't need to have. 100%. Yeah, it just tails off. Uh, and then, yeah, it picks up for the last one, but it's just not really necessary because, like, it finishes so strongly before that. Like, my backwards walk, keep yourself warm. We could do without the extra super very interlude. Poke into floating in the fourth. Like, that's a killer ending to an album. Again, do without the, the final interlude. But if you... Remove those interludes, those last four or five songs, the head rolls off before that. Like, yeah, very, very strong ending. Yeah, those songs are, are pretty amazing back to back. You mentioned that you uh, thought that the vocals were really strong. Mm. I'm, I'm interested to hear you talk more about that because I, I think that there's an authentic- authenticity to them and a kind of roughness to them. Um, 
but I, I wouldn't call him a great singer. Yeah, so a good question. I When I say strong, I, I should have clarified. I don't mean necessarily, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't necessarily mean amazingly, amazing tone or amazing, you know, ability to stick to key or anything like that. Although he's, he's fine. I think it's, it is that authenticity and that vulnerability and that strength and that emotional resonance that they have that is really strong to me you get the sense that he really believes what he's seeing in and you're, you're just getting his unfiltered emotion really. And, um, mm. there's so much to singing and so much to singing well. And such a big part of it is being able to convey that emotion. Cause in some ways it's easy to sing in key, easy in quotes to sing in key and, and, you know, carry a tune, but to do that, but then also convey the strength of what in this case are very strong emotions is another thing entirely. And I think he does a great job of really getting across that anguish and that um, the torment and in some places the, the joy and the, all of it is, is really well done. And I think, you know, I talked about how I, I really like that kind of anguished emo vibe. I think this is a perfect example of what vocals can do in this genre of being, rough enough to convey that emotion while still carrying a tune really nicely. Yeah. I, I think that the, um, in the live setting, it, it must be a heavy toll to sing songs this heavy night after night after night and, and seeing him live, uh, seeing them live. There are a couple of times when he'd cry, um, during, during the performance and things like that. I, I think that, there's something admirable about putting as much of yourself out there, but I, I think that there's an emotional weight to it that uh, wouldn't be easy to carry mm. as well at times. Yeah. If you're the sort of person that wears your heart on your sleeve, can communicate that emotion, and then every time you sing a song about a horrible breakup, it takes you back to that place. Ugh, that's That's yeah. got to be really hard and... Um, even if the process of writing and recording the album was a kind of catharsis for you of leaving that time behind, I can imagine yeah, having to sing it again would just bring it all back. And, you know, I know a lot of artists are very good at compartmentalizing that and just being able to just engage with the, uh, the delivery of the product as it were. But it sounds like Scott Hutchinson is one of those guys that left it all out there and, yeah, must have taken its toll. I'm very jealous that I didn't get to see him live. That would have been amazing. Was it? Was it really, really good? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were they were really, really good, and they were they were kind of a band of a size that they weren't playing these huge rooms. Like they played the Hi-Fi, um, they played uh, John Curtin on Ligon Street, which is just this dingy pub, um, and the Corner Hotel a couple of times. So it's mm. it's kind of like these medium-sized rooms that. Yeah, are just a few hundred people, and and you can you can see and yep. really Very feel jealous. what's going on there. Were your what were your favorite songs? What what highlights and uh, lowlights? Uh, <laughs> when I go through and write notes for each track, I put like little asterisks next to the titles for ones that I really like, and I think I've got asterisks next to most tracks on here. So I'll just rattle through them. Uh, the opening track, "Modern Leper," is great. "Fast Blood," so good. "Head Rolls Off," "My Backwards Walk," "Keep Yourself Warm." Uh, poke floating in the fourth i think my favorite is probably poke actually and you mentioned ian how it's like a, the the album's saddest 
uh, slowest song. Um, and I think it has a lot of heft for that reason. I think where Boy Genius loses me is not that it's one note or whatever, but when you have so many tracks like that, it uh, it doesn't don't enjoy it as much. Whereas here, I felt like we had so much upbeat stuff, and then this one track feels like it pairs things right back to mostly acoustic guitar and vocal with some beautifully done backing vocals throughout. Uh, I found that particularly strong. Um, so yeah, Poke is my favorite, but so many good songs on this album. I think Poke is uh, lyrically one of the strongest on the album as well. There's there's a passage sort of halfway through where, where his, it's sort of him speaking to his ex-girlfriend or ex-partner um, and trying to reconcile the the sadness that he feels about the relationship ending and the positive memories that he had. And, and there's a, a line there about how he's suggesting mm. someone looks at a picture of them as a couple. And, and then there's this one line I, I'd say, I'd say she was his sister, but she doesn't have his nose, which is just like a knife in the gut. It's, it's so sad and so simple and such, uh, I don't know, such yeah, such succinct storytelling in just that one line. And I, I think it's... It's beautiful writing, that, that but it's also so well delivered the way he does it and so spare in its production that it just like, uh, yeah, it gets you in the heart every time. It's beautiful. I love that song. I'm curious to hear what, to, uh, hear what you thought, Abby, about your favorite songs. So on the, listen, on, a, on the first listen through this album, realize that I've actually heard a lot of these songs before. Um, and that is because a lot of them were featured in One Tree Hill. Um, including so, Poke, right? All right. Including Poke, Good Arms versus Bad was also in Grey's Anatomy, season four. Um, so I actually had this like really interesting experience listening to this album where it, it felt very nostalgic, even though I've never listened to it before. Because it really brought me back to like senior year of high school <laughs> when um, I would listen to a lot of Blink-182. So I felt like a the same nostalgic feeling that I feel listening to Blink-182 listening to this album, um, which means that I absolutely adored it. And I, the highest honor that I can give an album is buying it on vinyl. And I, I did that. <laughs> so I'm really wow. excited for that. Um, and like you, Matt, on my notes, I go through and I put a little star when I when it, I really like the song and I pretty much all of them. Um, I feel like the second half of the album, I didn't love as much, but I the modern, modern Leper, even though there's a little bit of that song that I don't think would fly in this day and age. Um, but overall, I, I really love that song. Good Arms versus Bad, uh, Fast Blood, Old Old Fashion, sorry, Ian, The Twist. <laughs> um, heads Roll Off. And then for me, I thought My Backwards Walk was maybe my least favorite song of the album. I don't know why. I just, for some reason, that one just didn't quite sit with me. And then, yeah, Poke, Floating in the Fourth those ones were also really good so i pretty much loved the entire album and i'm really excited to listen to it on vinyl when it gets here <laughs> i got lizzie mcalvine too so nice, nice. yeah <laughs> you mentioned mm. uh you mentioned that sort of body horror mat and i think the album art kind of speaks to that it's it's got a lot of um almost medical drawings all of the artwork is done by, by scott hutchinson he was a an illustrator 
as uh, studied as an illustrator. So the the album art has hearts and lungs and uh, body parts all through it in these these sort of pencil drawings. So I, I think that that uh, reinforces that that feeling that you yeah, had about. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's kind of gross actually album. when you look at it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the the album title itself is kind of gross. Midnight Organ Fight. It's it's kind of a euphemism mm. for sex. And and that's what I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask, what does it mean? Yeah, exactly what you think yeah, it means. That. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. That's what I was like. <laughs> I think th- what's what's the line? It's like uh, Midnight Organ Fight. Yours give way to mine, or something like that. It's like mm-hmm. okay, gotcha. Mm. Picking up what you're putting down. There's so much. <laughs> there's so much teen angst in this album. Like I feel like that's why. That's why when I was listening to it, I was like, oh yeah, Ian picked this album. Is because there's like just so much teen <laughs> angst, and I don't know if that's because it reminds me of One Tree Hill or if it's actually like it's just really angsty. The album in general. I think it kind of has an adult perspective on on things a little bit more than pure teen. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I I think it's more of an early adulthood <laughs> angst. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not sure how old he was when it came out. I I guess like mid twenties. So it kind of has this vibe of, of being the breakdown of a like one of those first significant relationships mm-hmm. and and the way that that does a number on you. Abby, it's a small point, but I'm curious to hear what you thought about the C bomb in Poke because I think in Australia we have probably a more liberal attitude towards that particular word and i know that the context it's used in in this song is a as a, a scottish phrase rather than a a particular like yeah it's a it's a well-trodden scottish phrase so it's there is context for it how did it land for you i for me i feel like i've been in europe for so long and i'm friends with so many brits that it didn't even i didn't even think about it okay <laughs> yeah i'm sure that if i played it for like my sister, she would probably be offended um, or something. But for me, I was just like, oh, yes, okay. <laughs> but I also listened to a lot of the 1975, and he has some words that he throws in there that are not exactly, not something you want to say in front of your grandma. So <laughs> I think it's pretty, yeah, it maybe doesn't offend as much as it could have, but also it is quite arresting, I think, when you first hear it because it's in this mm-hmm. slow song with just acoustic and vocal and kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, oh, okay. wasn't expecting that. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, I, I maybe did like a double take, but it didn't like, but not really in a way that I didn't go back and I was like, oh, man, this moment. It was just yeah. kind of like, well, that's there. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't stop listening to the album at that point and refuse to listen to it subsequently. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was like... <laughs> Give me more. Just scandalized by what I gave you. <laughs> that Ian no, Trelaw, just... damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm still doing that about Jackson Jackson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. Can't imagine that you're listening to that again, though. <laughs> you're just upset that it tanked our listenership numbers, aren't you? I did. I did. No, I don't care. I don't care about our listener numbers. No, I I'm I just I really like this album, Ian. I'm mm. so glad that you picked it. Like, yep. I, I feel like my gauge for what is cool is based on what um, Tilda Price listens to, and she approved. So I feel like this is a great one. Thanks, Tilda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a really really good choice. Yeah, I agree. I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I chose it. I uh, I was back and forth about whether to choose this or a couple of other ones, and it was kind of a spontaneous choice right at the end of 
the last record that we did. But I am happy to have put it in front of your ears and maybe some others. I I would say that there's if you're into this kind of thing, there's some there's a lot of other bands that uh, offer kind of a similar similar kind of thing with with some different different nuances that are almost as emotionally effective. Um, a band called There Will Be Fireworks, which is like this, but a little bit more sort of post-rock and maybe a little bit more emo-leaning uh, or something that you'd like if you enjoyed this. Uh, Twilight Sad, uh, a bit heavier, but similar kind of kind of vibe. Um, yeah, I, I really do love Scottish indie indie rock and there's so many good bands coming out of out of there uh especially from that sort of late late 2000s to 2020 kind of era which mean a lot i'd also if i can in throw um biffy claro on that list i know it's slightly different and i know that the um probably the similarity has a lot to do with the scottish accent being so thick in both but uh, some of their stuff is great, really, really strong. And if you like this sort of vibe, then yeah, you, you might well enjoy listening to Biffy Claro. There's a lot to, to like there. After after Scott Hutchinson died, um, there was a sort of, I don't know, anniversary edition of the album that was put out with a lot of covers from artists that they toured with and that meant a lot to them um, over, over their lifespan. So Biffy Claro mm. does The Modern yep. Leper. Uh, there's also uh, Benjamin Gibbard from Def- Death Cab for Cutie does a song. He does Keep Yourself Warm. Uh, Twilight Sad do a song. Aaron mm. Dessner uh, and, and Lauren Mabry from Churches do a song. Julian Baker. So there's there's a lot of those kind of indie artists that are within the orbit of stuff that we've spoken about and that we've covered on this podcast that... Uh, felt the emotional impact of, of this band and contributed to that hmm. album, which I, I think is, is meaningful. Yeah, I enjoyed the fact that I my very first feeling when I turned on the album, listening to Modern Leper, the first track, was, oh, this sounds like Biffy Claro. And then when I learned that there was this Tiny Changes anniversary album, when I learned that Biffy Claro had recorded Modern Leper, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, well, that fits then. Um, and their version is very good as well. It's quite different, but super heavy in the choruses and uh, well well worth a listen. I found the rest of the album a little bit patchy, the tiny changes. I couldn't... Re- yeah, it was a, a very disparate styles, I think, which makes it a, a less cohesive listen, but definitely some cool stuff on there. It's interesting that we we have picked some very, very different albums and like... With the exception maybe of Jackson Jackson, there's, sorry, Matt, (laughs) there's like some strings that connect a lot of the things that we've picked. And um, I don't know, it makes me feel like the the music world is is a small one, but it's, I mean, it's huge, but it's not. Because like, yeah, when I was Googling them and I read that the, that Aaron produced their final album, um, because they had opened for the national, I was like, oh, okay. So there's like this connection that I didn't know about before, but actually totally makes sense. And yeah, I don't know. I just find it really interesting that there's always like, we, we always mention like 
you know, certain things every episode. I wish they'd done a tiny desk. <laughs> so we yeah. I was going to say, we haven't mentioned that yet. So well done. Tick the box, Abby. Good job. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, it, I really, yeah, I just really find it, I find it super interesting that we keep coming back to certain things, even though we've jumped around quite a bit. <laughs> should we uh should we do ratings are we still doing we ratings is that a thing that we want yeah, to do i think so i don't know what do you guys think we've done them for everything except for the bonus app i'm pretty sure so i'm happy yeah i'm happy to keep going matt what do you rate it oh i think it's at least an 8 out of 10 for me probably yeah i'll give it an 8 out of 10 i think it's very very good i think the no, I'm going to say eight and a half because I'm trying to think of what I didn't like about it. And the interludes are maybe the one main thing and that's a small thing. So, yeah, eight and a half. This is a very strong album. Yeah, I went with an eight and a half as well um, for the exact same reason. I don't like the interludes and I I don't like that my version of the album, I don't like the way it ended. Who Do You Kill Now as being the ending. Um, I, I was I was like, why is this here? But other than that, I I loved it. I loved the the instrumentals after each chorus. I feel like was like really really strong. Um, I yeah, I really can't can't really say like how much I loved about this album. I would be talking for like an hour, so I'd give it an eight and a half out of ten. Not any higher, mostly because I feel like you could you could very easily overplay it, which I've done. So. <laughs> Yeah, I can't imagine you overplaying something, Abby. I think it doesn't sound like you playing something on repeat. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like just a hundred times on YouTube, <laughs> 30, 30 album listens back to back. Uh, yeah, just wait. I'm gonna get so annoying in like two weeks. You have no idea. Oh my god, no! <laughs> it's like a week in three days. Oh, so exciting! Is this Ed Sheeran we're talking about, or the National, or Ed Sheeran, right? Ed Sheeran. Yep. Yeah. The National is Friday. Soon. More sad indie rock. <laughs> Hooray. Uh, for me, this is a this is an eight, eight and a half. Um, I think that in the arc of their career, I, there, are, there are songs that they do later on in their career, which are really, really, really good um, and a little bit more muscular, meaty, um, which is probably a little bit more musically to my taste now. But I, I think that the the true strength of this album is in that that lyrical mm. journey that you go on throughout it and that's pretty hard to fault um regardless of what the the music is doing so with the exception of, of those musical interludes i think it's pretty pretty strong is that eight and a half across the board yeah wow i think so that might be the first time we've like completely agreed on an album like we all liked lizzie mcalpine but there was a, yeah, variable rating. Mm. So what are we listening to next? I'm, I'm excited. Uh, this is tricky. This is, <clears throat> this is the first time that I've felt uh, the kind of weight of expectation, largely because the last album I picked was such an abject failure for, the, for you guys <laughs> and for our, our uh, audience <laughs> numbers. So I'm feeling... Yeah, under pressure to choose something that's interesting I, and I also feel like I shouldn't have told you that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I mean it's good data to have. Like I don't I don't want to be scaring people away. Uh and the funny thing is like I, I mean, Abby, you joked before about how we've gotten off pretty easily with 
uh, Ian's choice has given his wide selection of, uh, yeah, wide taste in music. I feel like I've been relatively restrained as well in what I chose. And Jackson Jackson to me was like, all right, I'm not going to pick these two or three more obscure albums that I wanted to talk about because it's maybe a bit too much. So we'll go with Jackson Jackson. That'll be fine. It's fun. Everyone loves fun. <sighs> so now I'm, I'm second guessing all my life decisions. No, don't and, hold uh, yourself back. You know what? The people who are still listening to this podcast are people that I don't think we can lose them now. So. <laughs> that sounds like a challenge. If they've made it this Mars Volta it is. Oh, God, no. no. I quit. <laughs> no, I, I won't inflict the Mars Volta on you um, as much as I would like to. Um, so I've got two choices. And one of them, uh, again, to peel back the curtain, I put a note in our group chat the other week about um, whether... Ian and Abby would be okay listening to an EP um, and whether that would be fine for this, given it's not technically an album. But And frustratingly, Ian picked what I was going to suggest based purely on that clue. And out of spite, I kind of want to not pick that, just Aww. have something different. <laughs> so good. So... Which is incredibly petty of me. So, I'm trying to work oh out how, how important that is. Um... So, I, I'm not sure. I'm still not sure which one of those to pick. Ian, what, what do you what do you think? Do you think we should pick that album, or should we pick the other one? I'll let you you be the final arbiter. What? That's cheating. Yeah. If I if I have to suffer through this, then so do you. <laughs> I'm I'm happy with uh, with whatever you give us. All right. I'm not going to choose that one. Ah. Uh, we, we we can talk about it in a, in a, a future episode because I've got a one that you'll be just as happy with because I know you, you've heard this album, Abby. I don't think you have. But it's an album that I think a lot more people deserve to listen to. Um, it's Diorama by Silverchair, oh, 2002, yes. um, their fourth album. And lots to talk about with this one. So much to talk about and uh, a very important album to myself and to a lot of people. So Diorama by Silverchair and uh, yeah, can't wait to dive into that one. Hell yeah. At some point, if this podcast exists in another however long, maybe I'll get up the courage to uh, to recommend the one, the EP that I was talking about. And in the meantime, I'll give our listeners one more clue. It's an EP. It's two tracks. It's about half an hour long. Let us know via Twitter, via Discord, wherever you like, um, if you can work out what, I'll, what EP that is. Yeah, who knows how much longer we're going to succeed at making this podcast. But we're doing pretty good so far. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back, well, sooner than you think uh, for a bonus episode because now we've decided to do those and then we'll be back in two weeks to talk about Matt's pick. Thanks, you guys. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.